This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mysteries of Udolpho by Anne Radcliffe, Volume 1, Chapter 3. Oh, how canst thou renounce the boundless store of charms which nature to her votary yields, the warbling woodland, the resounding shore, the pomp of groves and garniture of fields, all that the genial ray of morning gilds, and all that echoes to the song of even, all that the mountain sheltering bosom shields, and all the dread magnificence of heaven. Oh, how canst thou renounce and hope to be forgiven? These charms shall work thy soul's eternal health, and love and gentleness and joy impart. The Minstrel Saint-Aubert, instead of taking the more direct road that ran along the feet of the Pyrenees to Languedoc, chose one that, winding over the heights, afforded more extensive views and greater variety of romantic scenery. He turned a little out of his way to take leave of Monsieur Boreau, whom he found botanizing in the wood near his chateau, and who, when he was told the purpose of Saint-Aubert's visit, expressed a degree of concern such as his friend had thought it was scarcely possible for him to feel on any similar occasion. They parted with mutual regret. "'If anything could have tempted me from my retirement,' said Monsieur Barreau, "'it would have been the pleasure of accompanying you on this little tour. I do not often offer compliments. You may therefore believe me when I say that I shall look for your return with impatience.' The travellers proceeded on their journey. As they ascended the heights, Saint-Aubert often looked back upon the chateau in the plain below. Tender images crowded to his mind. His melancholy imagination suggested that he should return no more, and though he checked this wandering thought, still he continued to look till the haziness of distance blended his home with the general landscape, and Saint-Aubert seemed to drag at each remove a lengthening chain. He and Emily continued sunk in musing silence for some leagues, from which melancholy reverie Emily first awoke, and her young fancy, struck with the grandeur of the objects around, gradually yielded to delightful impressions. The road now descended into glens, confined by stupendous walls of rock, gray and barren, except where shrubs fringed their summits, or patches of meagre vegetation tinted their recesses, in which the wild goat was frequently browsing. And now the way led to the lofty cliffs from whence the landscape was seen extending in all its magnificence. Emily could not restrain her transport as she looked over the pine forests of the mountains upon the vast plains that enriched with woods, towns, blushing vines, and plantations of almonds, palms, and olives stretched along till their various colors melted in distance into one harmonious hue that seemed to unite earth with heaven. Through the whole of this glorious scene, the majestic Garonne wandered, descending from its source among the Pyrenees, and winding its blue waves towards the Bay of Biscay. The ruggedness of the unfrequented road often obliged the wanderers to alight from their little carriage, but they thought themselves amply repaid for this inconvenience by the grandeur of the scenes, and while the muleteer led his animals slowly over the broken ground, the travellers had leisure to linger amid these solitudes, 
and to indulge the sublime reflections which soften while they elevate the heart and fill it with the certainty of a present god still the enjoyment of st aubert was touched with that pensive melancholy which gives to every object a mellower tint and breathes a sacred charm over all around they had provided against part of the evil to be encountered from a want of convenient inns by carrying a stock of provisions in the carriage so that they might take refreshment on any pleasant spot in the open air and pass the nights wherever they should happen to meet with a comfortable cottage for the mind also they had provided by a work on botany written by monsieur barreau and by several of the latin and italian poets while emily's pencil enabled her to preserve some of those combinations of forms which charmed her at every step the loneliness of the road where only now and then a peasant was seen driving his mule or some mountaineer children at play among the rocks heightened the effect of the scenery st aubert was so much struck with it that he determined if he could hear of a road to penetrate further among the mountains and bending his way rather more to the south to emerge in roussillon and coast the mediterranean along part of that country to languedoc soon after midday they reached the summit of one of those cliffs which bright with the verdure of palm trees adorn like gems the tremendous walls of the rocks and which overlooked the greater part of gascony and part of languedoc here was shade and the fresh water of a spring that gliding among the turf under the trees thence precipitated itself from rock to rock till its dashing murmurs were lost in the abyss though its white foam was long seen amid the darkness of the pines below this was a spot well suited for rest and the travellers alighted to dine while the mules were unharnessed to browse on the savoury herbs that enriched this summit it was some time before st aubert or emily could withdraw their attention from the surrounding objects so as to partake of their little repast seated in the shade of the palms st aubert pointed out to her observation the course of the rivers the situation of great towns and the boundaries of provinces which science rather than the eye enabled him to describe notwithstanding this occupation when he had talked a while he suddenly became silent thoughtful and tears often swelled to his eyes which emily observed and the sympathy of her own heart told her their cause the scene before them bore some resemblance though it was on a much grander scale to a favourite one of the late madame st aubert within view of the fishing-house they both observed this and thought how delighted she would have been with the present landscape while they knew that her eyes must never never more open upon this world st aubert remembered the last time of his visiting that spot in company with her and also the mournfully presaging thoughts which had arisen in his mind and were now even thus soon realized the recollections subdued him and he abruptly rose from his seat and walked away to where no eye could observe his grief when he returned his countenance had recovered its usual serenity he took emily's hand pressed it affectionately without speaking and soon after called to the muleteer who sat at a little distance concerning a road among the mountains towards roussillon michael said there were several that way but he did not know how far they extended or even whether they were passable and st aubert who did not intend to travel after sunset asked what village they could reach about that time 
the muleteer calculated that they could easily reach Matu, which was in their present road, but that if they took a road that sloped more to the south, towards Roussillon, there was a hamlet, which he thought they could gain before the evening shut in. Saint-Aubert, after some hesitation, determined to take the latter course, and Michael, having finished his meal and harnessed his mules, again set forward, but soon stopped, and Saint-Aubert saw him doing homage to a cross that stood on a rock impending over their way. Having concluded his devotions, he smacked his whip in the air, and, in spite of the rough road and the pain of his poor mules, which he had been lately lamenting, rattled in a full gallop along the edge of a precipice, which it made the eye dizzy to look down. Emily was terrified almost to fainting, and Saint-Aubert, apprehending still greater danger from suddenly stopping the driver, was compelled to sit quietly and trust his fate to the great strength and discretion of the mules, who seemed to possess a greater portion of the latter quality than their master. For they carried the travellers safely into the valley, and there stopped upon the brink of the rivulet that watered it. Leaving the splendour of extensive prospects, they now entered this narrow valley screened by rocks on rocks piled as if by magic spell, here scorched by lightnings, there with ivy green. The scene of barrenness was here and there interrupted by the spreading branches of the larch and cedar, which threw their gloom over the cliff. No living creature appeared except the izzard, scrambling among the rocks and often hanging upon points so dangerous that fancy shrunk from the view of them. This was such a scene as Salvatore would have chosen, had he then existed, for his canvas. Saint-Aubert, impressed by the romantic character of the place, almost expected to see banditti start from behind some projecting rock, and he kept his hand upon the arms with which he always travelled. As they advanced, the valley opened. Its savage features gradually softened, and towards evening they were among heathy mountains, stretched in far perspective, along which the solitary sheep-bell was heard, and the voice of the shepherd calling his wandering flocks to the nightly fold. His cabin, partly shadowed by the cork-tree and the ilex, which Saint-Aubert observed to flourish in higher regions of the air than any other trees, except the fir, was all the human habitation that yet appeared. Along the bottom of this valley the most vivid verdure was spread, and in the little hollow recesses of the mountains, under the shade of the oak and chestnut, herds of cattle were grazing. Groups of them, too, were often seen reposing on the banks of the rivulet, or laving their sides in the cool stream and sipping its wave. The sun was now setting upon the valley. Its last light gleamed upon the water and heightened the rich yellow and purple tints of the heath and broom that overspread the mountains. Saint-Aubert inquired of Michael the distance to the hamlet he had mentioned, but the man could not with certainty tell, and Emily began to fear that he had mistaken the road. Here was no human being to assist or direct them. They had left the shepherd and his cabin far behind, and the scene became so obscured in twilight that the eye could not follow the distant perspective of the valley in search of a cottage or a hamlet. A glow of the horizon still marked the west, and this was of some little use to the travellers. Michael seemed endeavouring to keep up his courage by singing. 
His music, however, was not of a kind to disperse melancholy. He sung in a sort of chant one of the most dismal ditties his present auditors had ever heard, and Saint-Aubert at length discovered it to be a vesper hymn to his favorite saint. They traveled on, sunk in that thoughtful melancholy with which twilight and solitude impress the mind. Michael had now ended his ditty, and nothing was heard but the drowsy murmur of the breeze among the woods, and its light flutter as it blew freshly into the carriage. They were at length roused by the sound of firearms. Saint-Aubert called to the muleteer to stop, and they listened. The noise was not repeated, but presently they heard a rustling among the brakes. Saint-Aubert drew forth a pistol, and ordered Michael to proceed as fast as possible, who had not long obeyed before a horn sounded that made the mountains ring. He looked again from the window, and then saw a young man spring from the bushes into the road, followed by a couple of dogs. The stranger was in a hunter's dress. His gun was slung across his shoulders, the hunter's horn hung from his belt, and in his hand was a small pike, which, as he held it, added to the manly grace of his figure, and assisted the agility of his steps. After a moment's hesitation, Saint-Aubert again stopped the carriage, and waited till he came up, that they might inquire concerning the hamlet they were in search of. The stranger informed him that it was only half a league distant, that he was going thither himself, and would readily shew the way. Saint-Aubert thanked him for the offer, and, pleased with his chevalier-like air and open countenance, asked him to take a seat in the carriage, which the stranger, with an acknowledgment, declined, adding that he would keep pace with the mules. "'But I fear you will be wretchedly accommodated,' said he. "'The inhabitants of these mountains are a simple people who are not only without the luxuries of life, but almost destitute of what in other places are held to be its necessaries.' "'I perceive you are not one of its inhabitants, sir,' said Saint-Aubert. "'No, I am only a wanderer here.' The carriage drove on, and the increasing dusk made the travellers very thankful that they had a guide. The frequent glens, too, that now opened among the mountains, would likewise have added to their perplexity. Emily, as she looked up one of these, saw something at a great distance, like a bright cloud in the air. "'What light is yonder, sir?' said she. Saint-Aubert looked, and perceived that it was the snowy summit of a mountain, so much higher than any around it, that it still reflected the sun's rays, while those below lay in deep shade. At length the village lights were seen to twinkle through the dusk, and soon after some cottages were discovered in the valley, or rather were seen by reflection in the stream, on whose margin they stood, and which still gleamed with the evening light. The stranger now came up, and Saint-Aubert, on further inquiry, found that not only was there no inn in the place, but not any sort of house of public reception. The stranger, however, offered to walk on and inquire for a cottage to accommodate them, for which further civility Saint-Aubert returned his thanks, and said that, as the village was so near, he would alight and walk with him. Emily followed slowly in the carriage. On the way, Saint-Aubert asked his companion what success he had had in the chase. "'Not much, sir,' he replied, "'nor do I aim at it. I am pleased with the country, and mean to saunter away a few weeks among its scenes. My dogs I take with me more for companionship than for game. This dress, too, gives me an ostensible business. 
and procures me that respect from the people which would perhaps be refused to a lonely stranger who had no visible motive for coming among them i admire your taste said st aubert and if i was a younger man should like to pass a few weeks in your way exceedingly i too am a wanderer but neither my plan nor pursuits are exactly like yours i go in search of health as much as of amusement st aubert sighed and paused and then seeming to recollect himself he resumed if i can hear of a tolerable road that shall afford decent accommodation it is my intention to pass into roussillon and along the seashore to languedoc you sir seem to be acquainted with the country and can perhaps give me information on the subject the stranger said that what information he could give was entirely at his service and then mentioned a road rather more to the east which led to a town whence it would be easy to proceed into roussillon they now arrived at the village and commenced their search for a cottage that would afford a night's lodging in several which they entered ignorance poverty and mirth seemed equally to prevail and the owners eyed st aubert with a mixture of curiosity and timidity nothing like a bed could be found and he had ceased to inquire for one when emily joined him who observed the languor of her father's countenance and lamented that he had taken a road so ill provided with the comforts necessary for an invalid other cottages which they examined seemed somewhat less savage than the former consisting of two rooms if such they could be called the first of these occupied by mules and pigs the second by the family which generally consisted of six or eight children with their parents who slept on beds of skins and dried beech leaves spread upon a mud floor here light was admitted and smoke discharged through an aperture in the roof and here the scent of spirits for the travelling smugglers who haunted the pyrenees had made this rude people familiar with the use of liquors was generally perceptible enough emily turned from such scenes and looked at her father with anxious tenderness which the young stranger seemed to observe. For, drawing St. Aubert aside, he made him an offer of his own bed. It is a decent one, said he, when compared with what we have just seen, yet such as in other circumstances I should be ashamed to offer you. St. Aubert acknowledged how much he felt himself obliged by this kindness, but refused to accept it, till the young stranger would take no denial. Do not give me the pain of knowing, sir, said he, that an invalid like you lies on hard skins while I sleep in a bed. Besides, sir, your refusal wounds my pride. I must believe you think my offer unworthy your acceptance. Let me shew you the way. I have no doubt my landlady can accommodate this young lady also. St. Aubert at length consented that if this could be done, he would accept his kindness, though he felt rather surprised that the stranger had proved himself so deficient in gallantry as to administer to the repose of an infirm man rather than that of a very lovely young woman for he had not once offered the room for emily but she thought not of herself and the animated smile she gave him told how much she felt herself obliged for the preference of her father on their way the stranger whose name was valancourt stepped on first to speak to his hostess and she came out to welcome st aubert into a cottage much superior to any he had seen 
this good woman seemed very willing to accommodate the strangers, who were soon compelled to accept the only two beds in the place. Eggs and milk were the only food the cottage afforded, but against scarcity of provisions Saint-Aubert had provided, and he requested Valancourt to stay and partake with him of less homely fare, an invitation which was readily accepted, and they passed an hour in intelligent conversation. Saint-Aubert was much pleased with the manly frankness, simplicity, and keen susceptibility to the grandeur of nature which his new acquaintance discovered, and, indeed, he had often been heard to say that without a certain simplicity of heart, this taste could not exist in any strong degree. The conversation was interrupted by a violent uproar without, in which the voice of the muleteer was heard above every other sound. Valancourt started from his seat, and went to inquire the occasion, but the dispute continued so long afterwards that Saint-Aubert went himself, and found Michael quarrelling with the hostess because she had refused to let his mules lie in a little room where he and three of her sons were to pass the night. The place was wretched enough, but there was no other for these people to sleep in, and with somewhat more of delicacy than was usual among the inhabitants of this wild tract of country, she persisted in refusing to let the animals have the same bedchamber with her children. This was a tender point with the muleteer. His honor was wounded when his mules were treated with disrespect, and he would have received a blow, perhaps, with more meekness. He declared that his beasts were as honest beasts and as good beasts as any in the whole province, and that they had a right to be well treated wherever they went. They are as harmless as lambs, said he, if people don't affront them. I never knew them behave themselves amiss above once or twice in my life, and then they had good reason for doing so. Once, indeed, they kicked at a boy's leg that lay asleep in the stable and broke it. But I told them they were out there, and by St. Anthony, I believe they understood me, for they never did so again. He concluded this eloquent harangue with protesting that they should share with him go where he would. The dispute was at length settled by Valancourt, who drew the hostess aside and desired she would let the muleteer and his beasts have the place in question to themselves, while her son should have the bed of skins designed for him, for that he would wrap himself in his cloak and sleep on the bench by the cottage door. But this she thought it her duty to oppose, and she felt it to be her inclination to disappoint the muleteer. Valancourt, however, was positive, and the tedious affair was at length settled. It was late when Saint-Aubert and Emily retired to their rooms, and Valancourt to his station at the door, which, at this mild season, he preferred to a closed cabin and a bed of skins. Saint-Aubert was somewhat surprised to find in his room volumes of Homer, Horace, and Petrarch, but the name of Valancourt written in them told him to whom they belonged. End of Volume 1, Chapter 3